ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Brian Jenkins, thank you for taking some time on ATV Talk. How are you, sir? Wonderful. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. I uh, I know that this isn't always the best of things to talk about, but we're going to be talking about a very special young lady. And I think that you have a better insight to her than anybody. And uh, we're going to uh, get some input from you about, uh, first off, before I go there, um, how did you get involved in ATVs? Uh, man, this is going to go way back. So you're not that old. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take you back to the late nineties. Then we'll, we'll start there that, uh, I decided it was time. I wanted a street bike. I always wanted one. I've always, uh, I, I grew up on a freestyle bicycle, but I was always doing crazy stuff on two wheels. So it was just like a next progression. So I, I got a street bike and we had a big group that rode around here and we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, we have a lot of drag strips. So, so we could go to the drag strip and, and have these big, huge events. And, you know, there was gambling and money and it, it was, it was fun though, because it was, you know, it wasn't on the street. You know, we, we took it off the street and, and went where it was a safe environment. Um, and, and so I was into street bikes for a long time. Uh, it started a business uh, that was to hop them up, you know, building motor, motors, powder coating, uh, doing anything and everything that you thought would be cool to them. And uh, which leads me into when I met Michelle, she would obviously ride with me. And, and you know, we had some pretty crazy guys around here. The star boys weren't far from here. So we, we rode with a lot of really talented people. Um, so, you know, to do wheelies and, you know, to go a little bit faster than you should and do all those things, it, it was just normal. Uh, and there was 
quite a few occasions that, you know, I, I didn't do anything. I, I wouldn't do anything uh, with Michelle on the back. I just wouldn't risk it. And, and she ended up saying, Hey, you know, I know that you want to do this stuff and I'm, I feel like I'm holding you back from it. How about I'll get a bike and then that way we can ride together and you can do this stuff and you don't have to worry about me being on the back. Cause I know that's why you're not doing any of it. And I had had a, a, a just, it was a freak accident in 1998. Uh, we were only going like a half a mile to go to a video store to, to get a movie. And I had a, a bad wreck on my motorcycle that I had a compound fracture ankle and some really bad uh, road rash. And just, it, it was bad. Um, and I knew the pain and, and, you know, what I went through with that, which was just, horrible and, and I couldn't live my with myself if she would have had to go through any of that or see any of that. And I told her, I said, no way, you're not getting a street bike. I'll sell my street bike. Uh let let's get something that at least the landing's a little bit softer because, you know, there's two types of riders and <laughs> those riders, somebody's always going to go down. You know, it, it's <laughs> it's it, you're all you're going to crash eventually. It doesn't matter. And um I said, let's get something that will be at least a little bit softer. It's not going to tear you up like what, you know, gravel or asphalt or blacktop will. Uh, and, and I kind of knew that I was crazy. I didn't want to be on two wheels. I didn't want to get a dirt bike. I had played sports all the way into college with basketball and stuff. So I knew that my knees and everything, they, they were already, you know, at their limit, I would say. So I didn't want to risk it. I said, let's get four wheelers and let's, Let's let's go have fun with that. Um, you know, I was at a job at the time that they were laying us off every winter. So I thought that would be pretty cool. You know, if we get some four wheelers, we could go trail ride and we can we can have fun when I'm off work and, and go do these things when when you don't have to work. So that was what led into um, getting getting a four wheeler and out of street bikes per se uh, for her and I because. It, that that came to fruition then that that winter I got laid off. Uh, my friend owns a local Honda Suzuki dealership and he called and said, Hey, I just took a 400 EX in on trade. And you know, you got to remember this is back in, you know, probably 2001 area. And uh, I, I said, Oh, I'll be down to look at it. Well, I bought it. And that was our first quad that then we started riding and was trail riding and, and going with all our buddies out in the, you know, the woods and making trails and riding all over the place at night and everything. And, and, you know, we were, we just got into it. So we were riding two up on it. You're probably not supposed to, you know, but we did, we weren't going fast. We weren't doing anything crazy. Um, and we loved it. We had a blast. We had a really good time. So I felt like, yeah, you know, this is something that, uh, I can definitely get into. So I told her, I said, I'm going to sell my, my, my street bike you know, I'm going to get a, another four wheeler. I'm going to do this. Well, little did she know that the reason why I was going to sell my street bike was I wanted to buy her an engagement ring. So I sold my street bike, uh, my brand new 2001 GSXR 1000. I, I sold it to buy an engagement ring for Michelle. And I proposed to Michelle. So then she was laughing. She said, well, I thought you were getting a four wheeler. I said, well, I can't now until the rings paid off. 
<laughs> and that was in 2001. So yeah, that would have been in 2001. So we, we were sharing the, the 400 EX because I, I actually, I had met her, uh, Oh geez. It would have been actually, that was 2000. I take that back. That was 2000 because I met her at a gym. I was, I was leaving work. I was on midnights. We would go to a gym. There was three of us guys that I worked with would go to a gym at like six 30 in the morning. And I happened to notice this blonde in the corner that was always working out real early. And, uh, she was always there at like almost every morning, uh, when we were there and I started, I was kind of watching her and I noticed she started watching me more and more. And then I finally was like, yeah, okay. I'm asking her out. She's watching me enough that I know it's not just me. So, uh, I, I could quit with the running back and forth to the drinking fountain just as an excuse to see her. And I'd asked her out. So, uh, it was relatively quick, uh, after that, that I, I, uh, proposed to her and got her an engagement ring and that started our adventure. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, and and yeah. you guys met in 99 or you met in 2000? We met in 2000. It was quick. It was a it, quick. It was. It was quick. It was. It was kind of wild the way that everything worked out because, um, to be honest, the the gym thing, the flirting went on for for a little bit, but after we had our first date, um, I don't think we were ever apart after that. Like it, it just, um. Uh, I would run at the time she was a police officer. So she was in Brookfield, which was about two townships over from where I grew up. Uh, so I would run her ounce, uh, food or whatever I, I could, or she, you know, would possibly want while she was at work. And then I would come home and I can't remember if the, at the time I was on uh, second shift or third shift, but, um, I, I would run out there and take her food or whatever she needed just to see her visit her. And then I would, on the way back home, I'd just go to work and then work for the night. And, um, if she wouldn't have to work, she'd normally come over to my house and hang out for a little bit. And, uh, like I said, we were like, we were pretty much together all the time after that. So, uh, it, it was, it was a whirlwind. Yeah. But you know what? We were happy. We got along. And it, it was kind of crazy because, you know, if she would suggest something, she was athletic, she was in sports. So if she said, you know, Hey, I want to, let's go play basketball or, you know, I want to go rollerblade. Do you want to run or ride a bike or something? And, no, I'll go get rollerblades. I'll, I'll try it. I'll do it with you. So, you know, basically anything she would suggest I was willing to do and, uh, anything that I threw out there, she was like, yeah, okay, let's do that. You know, so, so it was relatively easy. It was, it was really cool because, um, when we found something that we liked, we, you know, obviously went both feet jumping into it. And that's how kind of like the ATV thing actually started when I had bought that quad for us to go trail riding on. Well, they had asked her at work if they knew she got a four wheeler, you know, she was really excited. So she talked about it. Well, they were trying to do a sting operation and they, and somebody was stealing a lot of four wheelers out there. And they said, Hey, can we use you and your four wheeler 
to make it look like, you know, you go into this place and leave the, the quad out on a trailer outside because we want to use it as bait. So uh, during the course of that, uh, I can't remember how long it was, two weeks or three weeks, they, they did that to bust quite a few people. Um, one of the, the local, I can't remember if he was in high school at the time or, or if he was just one of the locals in that area. But obviously they all knew Michelle. So he said, Hey, I heard you got a four wheeler, you know, do you want to come to the track and, and check it out? We're going to be going up this Thursday. You know, do you want to tag along? So I remember she came home and she asked me about it and said, Hey, what do you think? And I said, no, go that, that would be cool. You know, I don't know what kind of track it would be. Cause we knew nothing about ATV motocross. We knew nothing about any of that. All we knew was, you know, ATVs and trail riding. So she happened to go to this place called dirt world. Uh, that, that was up north uh, by a, you know, Pima Tuning Hole Shot is, is a very well-known track in the area. And it's up towards that area. So she goes up on a Thursday and she spends, you know, obviously it, it was like six to dark was the practice. She comes home and she was just so excited and wound up and, and told me, Brian, we're going back Saturday. They got practice Saturday morning. We're going. You know, you can drop me off at work on the way home, but I, we got to go. Well, here come to find out the reason why she was so excited, not only was, was that her first taste of a motocross track, but local legend Tim Farr just happened to show up. Nobody that we knew, you know, it, it was something we had, like I said, nothing, no idea about. Tim Farr was there. She got to see Tim Farr ride her very first time at a motocross track. And of course, was blown away because this track was a very big track and it had huge jumps. So she's watching this guy just roost everybody, dirt bikes, you know, it didn't matter who it was, what it was. He was flying over and flying past them and just hammered down. So, so she was so excited. And, and, uh, you know, I remember at that time, you know, the, the, the hot ticket was those throwaway cameras. So she, she had taken one. She'd taken all these pictures and had her friends take all these pictures, went and got them developed right away. And I remember the first picture I seen, I was laughing so hard because she was riding, obviously, you know, the 400 EX around and the headlights are on and it, you know, it's a daylight, the sun's out, everything and her headlights are on and I'm laughing at her. I was teasing her about that and stuff. And she said, I didn't even know they were on. <laughs> but so the, the, anyways, that was really the start of the passion because we did go back Saturday and I seen it and I was blown away. I, I, I couldn't get enough. Like we, we traded back and forth for as long as we could hold on to on that 400 EX to do laps because you could just go out and you could practice at that time. You know, it was big bikes, big quads just all night long. And we literally would go out for as long as we could hold on to that machine for and then come back and hand it off. And it was that way all day long. So we knew that was something we wanted to do. So we didn't know anybody though. And we had zero insight. So I started doing my research and started checking things out because after seeing, you know, pictures of Tim's quad and then being there and seeing what these guys were doing, I knew that we didn't have a quad that was anywhere near that. So we started going and watching local races. We, we had an organization uh, locally that was called CRA, which was competition riders of America. 
and it was huge in the area. So we went and started familiarizing ourselves with the tracks that they ran and we would go to them just to watch, to see what was going on and what it was going to take and what we needed because we did not know. We didn't know who to ask. And uh, that research led me to believing that as soon as I paid that ring off, because I didn't know anything, it would be much easier and probably more cost effective for me just to buy a Cannondale moto because it was already race ready. And it was, the, <laughs> it was, and it was the only thing that fit the bill at the time. And it was fuel injected. And I liked that coming from street bikes. I wasn't afraid of that where everybody else was like carb, carb, carb. I, I said, give me the computer. I'll tune that thing all day long from my laptop. I'm not afraid of that. So, uh, that, that was exactly what happened. I paid off that big old rock and, uh, that took a little while. She had to have a big rock. It had to be a two carat. It was a big dog. <laughs> so got that for, her, got it paid off. And then I went straight and jumped on a Cannondale moto and, and bought that to use. So, uh, from there, as soon as I got that, we started racing. So that would have been at that time we, you know, we had practiced on the 400 EX and dabbled as much as we could and tried to information gather. Uh, so I think that we were, that took us to about 2002 area to where we were ready and felt like we had a, enough of a grasp at least to start and figure the rest out. So that was, we started racing in 2002 at that CRA organization and um, had a blast just from day one, even though uh, here, here's a great story about Michelle. So we go to our very first race, outdoor race that we did. And it was at that time of tuning hole shot. And th there's guys there like Lucky Vines, local legend, Trevor Vines' dad, a freestyle phenom trevor uh, you know there was some really good locals that would race there when they had big events tim Farr, jason luberg john natale uh jason dunkelberger angela butler you know all these people at the time uh would go back in those days and race there it's this really well-known track so we go there on i don't know i can't remember if it was a friday or saturday we go out and of course my bike ran flawlessly all day long. Come race time, it doesn't want to run. And, you know, with the Cannondales, I, I wasn't familiar with it at the time. It was brand new. I just picked it up. I didn't know to check the ground wire. Apparently they used the shoulder bolt in there through the uh, ground wire in the fuel pressure regulator and the shoulder was too long. So when they tightened it, they got the correct torque, but the cable could actually spin. So it was, it was breaking ground. And when it would break ground, it would shut it off. The computer would detect that and shut it off. Well, I didn't know that, but that's what it was. So I, I told Michelle though, I was like, my bike's not right. I'll take it to the shop tomorrow, but we're here. You go out and race, you know, there's five, six girls, you know, I'll, I'll support you. You know, I'll help you out and have, have a great time no matter what. So she was all excited. So she goes out there and the adrenaline's pumping and, you know, she's actually racing with these girls her first time out ever, uh, you know, that we were actually racing, not just practicing on this track or a track. 
and she's so amped up. She's not thinking she's not hitting the throttle, right? She's letting off when she shouldn't, you know, coming off jump, she's nose diving because she's letting off too quick. Little things that she was doing and it just beat her up. She was getting thrown all over the place, but she still got second place. So she comes back and I, I seen her, she got off the quad and she took her helmet off and her bandana and wiped her face. And she went and she jumped in at the time we had like an S10 blazer, I think. And I seen her get in and she took a drink and I go over to, to say something and the door's locked. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm done. I can't do it again. I'm, I'm just so beat up. I, I'm done. I, I need a minute. I was like, oh, okay. So people are coming by and they're congratulating her and they're saying, you know, Hey, good job. And you know, can't wait to see a moto two. She waits till they leave. And she looks at me and she goes, Brian, I'm not going, I'm not doing moto two. I don't have to do a moto two. Right. I, we can go. Right. <laughs> she was so scared <laughs> that she was going to go out and, you know, like she, she just beat herself up. She's like, I, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know this. I said, Hey, listen, come out. I'll show you what was going on. And I'll, I'll tell you how to not do it. And there was a little ditch right by where we parked. So, you know, Michelle all of a sudden turned into that annoying little 50 rider that does hot laps, like a million of them right beside you. Well, I showed her and was telling her how to stay on the throttle and how to manipulate that throttle to keep the front end up or to pop it up or to level the bike out. As soon as she realized that she did literally probably a hundred times, she would circle around just to jump this little ditch. <laughs> so she ended up going out for moto two. She did great. She got second place again. It wasn't a rough ride and she was so happy with herself and, and what she had accomplished. And that she comes back and, and, and was like, can we go do that again? I said, absolutely. Cause I think we raced, that was a weekend. She ended up having off that, you know, allowed us to go to race that weekend. So we went, I believe to another local racetrack the next day. And I think she either won or got a second place again. And then she asked me after that, I remember driving home and she said, can we do this like every weekend? Is this something that, that they do all the time? And I said, well, yeah, here's the schedule. Look at it. And she said, you know, I think I'm going to talk to them at work and tell them if they don't hire me, I'm going to have to find another job. Because <laughs> since she was a police officer and she was part time, they, they, I felt like they kept passing over her because she would work all the off shifts and all the holidays. And she didn't care because she didn't have anything going on at the time. Once we introduced ATV and, and racing as a possibility, and she got to experience it and see what was going on, all of a sudden she didn't want to work all those weekends and weird times and, you know, be on call for whatever. So she did. She ended up saying, I'm going to go talk to them. And if they hire me, and give me a schedule, okay, then I'll figure something out. But if they don't want to hire me, I, I think I'm just going to find another job. She said, I've been missing out for so long and not doing anything that I, I really like this. So that was the beginning of the journey. <laughs> nice. Was yep. she always so outgoing? Well, outgoing in a sense that she... um. What, what I, what I meant is because when you talk to Neve and you talk to the other girls, they always say that she's the one leading the charge, talking to everybody out, you know, through the pits, 
Was she always like that? No, no. When she, she, <laughs> she had a little bit of an ornery side, you know, we always used to go back and forth with each other and play pranks and tease each other. And it was, it was kind of cool to see her evolve because, you know, she was obviously always just a very kind hearted, good person anyways. But as she got better with riding and racing, uh, that was one of the things I, I told her that, you know, she would have to, um, not work on, but be accepting to that. She's going to have more and more people that are going to come up to her and that are going to look up to her and that are going to, you know, turn to her for advice and ask her things because she's, she was, Michelle was in a real unique situation in that, like I, I, I had said before, we didn't know anybody. So nobody would help us really with riding. So what we would do when we went to the track, we would try and pick out somebody that was faster than us, but somebody that we could maybe stick close to. And, you know, it, it helped quite a bit because when we first started, I was the crash test dummy. So when you went around the track, you went around the track and, and it didn't matter if it was a 10 foot double, you know, you got to the point, we always, we figured it out, you know, just by feel of you went to the point where you got uncomfortable with a jump or something because you had to slow down so much. You realized that I'm losing time here. You know, if I could just double this, I would be so much faster. And, and we would get, or I would get to the point where I was like, I'm Michelle, I'm going to go for this. So we, we had this partnership that when I got to that point, if it was a jump I could see, then she would go and sit there and, and just watch and let me, you know, I would go for it. And then that way, if something happened to me, obviously she was there to flag people down to not land on me or get help or, or whatever I needed. Or if it was a blind jump, she would, she would stand on the landing and hold her goggles up over her head so I could see it. So I knew how far to jump and I knew where I had to be. And then once I would do that, I would do it three, three or four times. And then I would ask her, are, are you ready? You know, do you want to try it? Are you there yet? And either she would say, yeah, or, you know, give me a little bit. Let me get to the same point that you were at where I feel like it's slowing me down and then I'll be ready. And that's how we ended up doing things for a very long time. I ended up going for it and she would follow me. So we, we just kept that strategy forever, really, to where we even once we went to the nationals, it was funny to watch people look at us weird because I would go out and I had a, a good friend, Billy Cottage, that if there was a jump I wasn't sure about, I would follow him over it. If he was there, I would ask him, Hey, could you slow down and let me follow you over this? And it's oh, not a problem, Brian, you know, it's this gear, this just, I'll, I'll take you over. Okay. No problem. So I'd do it. And then when I went out with the practice with Michelle, same thing, Michelle, it's this gear, it's this fast should follow me right over. It wasn't a problem. And then we, we would normally switch. Then I'd follow her over it just to make sure she had it down pat and knew the speed and, and was comfortable with it. Um, and, and we used that for a very long time that that's why when she, she was being interviewed, she kind of started telling the story about the guys in the 30, uh, 30 plus class, whichever class I was running at the time, whether it was C or B or the open, uh, in the 40 class guys as well. If 
I was out on the track with them that they couldn't see me, they would go watch Michelle's practice on purpose because they knew if Michelle jumped it, I jumped and vice versa. <laughs> the girls could, would watch me and they knew if I jumped something that Michelle would jump it because we, we were partners. You know, we, we would, it was teamwork all the time. We would conquer it together. And uh, to be honest, I, I'll, I'll be extremely honest when I say this. I always jumped everything first until when I bought a Honda because I was trying to get contingency and I kind of was worried that, you know, Suzuki had got rid of their team and the EPA thing. And, and I thought, well, you know, I don't know if parts are going to get scarce or what's going to go on with that, but I'll develop another bike so that I have it figured out. So if Michelle has to switch, the, the transition will be nothing. It'll be just like when Michelle, I, I got Michelle on Cannondale's, uh, you know, rewinding a little bit there. I got her off the 400 EX. As soon as I went that first night to Pimatune, had a problem with my Cannondale and took it to the shop. I realized that nobody cares about your well-being as much as you care about your own well-being. You know, they, to them, it's just a job. To me, I didn't look at it like that. I knew that I had to figure that bike out, learn that bike, and I had to know it inside and out so that there were no failures and there were no problems because I didn't want to get hurt. And, and once I felt like I had that, the bike was extremely powerful. The Cannondales were a great machine when they were right and you knew what you were doing with them. So I immediately got Michelle on a Cannondale. And as soon as I put her on that Cannondale, it was game over. Her learning curve just went straight up. I mean, it was, it was amazing to see uh, her with a capable machine under her and then her gaining confidence, what it was capable of. So when we transitioned from like the Cannondales, then I had jumped to Suzuki way before Michelle did so that I could develop it. And so when she jumped on it, she had a capable bike right off the rip. She wasn't struggling and she wasn't, she wasn't, uh, what is this? Okay, let me get rid of uh, she wasn't going to struggle and she wasn't going to have uh, any failures or any problems because of the machine. I wanted to make sure of that. Um, so, so that was one thing that I always went ahead of time and figured the machines out. So, so back to the Honda. When I went to the Honda, the Honda is the only bike I've ever owned that you can't go buy the most expensive, best parts and throw at it and it be right. It doesn't work like that. Hondas, it was a more of, of a meshing of the components to make the power than the best of everything or what you thought was the best to throw at it. So there, there was a little bit of a learning curve there for me on that one. And when that happened, the Honda was backwards from my Suzuki and any bike I've been on. It, it was a dog. I mean, I think at one time we had like 30 something horsepower out of it. And I said, I, I think it made more stock than it did with the parts that are on it now. So when that happened, I remember probably the, the most prominent jump would be Unadilla Skyshot. When we went there, I had the Honda and I was a little bit afraid of it, its lack of power and my lack of confidence in the bike. And I, 
I remember Michelle, she's like, oh, are you going to jump it? And I said, I'll jump it. Just give me a practice or two. I said, I, I'm not feeling real confident with it. She goes, well, maybe I'll jump. I jump. I followed you over it last year. Maybe, maybe I'll jump. And I said, well, don't risk anything. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. She went out and did it like the second lap, landed it perfect. And I, I kind of chuckled because her MO was always, she'd, the first time she'd go for the jump, she'd land it perfect. The second time was the one that scared me because she'd either over jump it or come up a little bit short because then she was comfortable with it. She wasn't afraid of it anymore. <laughs> so I told her, I said, you make sure to stay on the gas if you do it. And, you know, on a second or third time, whatever, get comfortable. Don't, don't not respect the jump, you know, give it a, a due respect. And, and the landings are important on that one. Cause you're dropping from the bat. That was back when you would drop from the sky. It was fourth year, pretty much pinned to make it over that jump. So that was one jump that I will set the record straight. She probably jumped it before me that year at the national when I had the Honda, because, um, I was a little untrusting to say the least, but behind her, I followed her right over. I, I, I had no problem with that. I, I really didn't. A lot of guys will tease me about that, but it, it never bothered me. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you guys drove and traveled and, and went everywhere together then throughout the years. It, you know what? The first year, the CRA year that when she had quit her job and, uh, we, we started racing. That would have been 2003 three that we dedicated. Our, our, we said we are going to go to this series all year and we we're going to go for a championship, which would have been our first full year racing anyways, because we only raced a couple, like maybe the last month of 2002. There wasn't much there. And that was more to just figure out what we needed and what the machines needed uh, so that we could be a contender for the following year. In in that 2003 year, I had get ready for this because the CRA raced Friday, Saturday, and Sunday most weekends, and then they also had fair races during the week sometimes. <laughs> during the course of the 2003 season, I raced actual raced <laughs> 56 times during that year, and Michelle raced. 58. There was two of them. I, I ended up, I sat out because I didn't need to race them because I felt like the, either the guys weren't there. I was in competition with for points or the weather was so bad. I didn't really want to chance it. So I sat out or because I figured I'd have to possibly help Michelle too. Um, Michelle was always rougher on the machines than I was. Uh, <laughs> so, so I had to make sure to have parts and yeah, you know, that I, I was probably an eBay master before a lot of people knew about a lot of that stuff back then, because I was always trying to scoop up parts and, and have spares, uh, when the price was right, because, um, like I said, she, she was rough on stuff. She, she wasn't at first, she wasn't particularly smooth on everything. She could do this stuff, but it wasn't, the smoothest landing sometimes, <laughs> but she held on. She was so strong. She worked down all the time. So she was so strong that it didn't matter. She didn't quite land right. She'd hold on to it and muscle it out every time. So, uh, it, it worked for, her. and that was one of the things back then 
we had, we had made an agreement that when we were ready to jump something, we had seen so many people get hurt and hurt bad um, at tracks. So we kind of figured some things out and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. When we're ready to jump something, we are going to decide not the turn before the jump, but two turns before the jump. So that way, you know, you're going to go for it. You're committed. So you're not looking at the turn. You're looking at the jump. You're concentrating on the jump. And once you're committed, do not change your mind. If you get scared, pin it instead of backing out. Because every time somebody got hurt, it was because they backed out. They let off. You know, I'll say nine out of 10 times, you can overjump something and be safe. But if you come up short, you get hurt. So that was, that was the deal we made. And I think that that was why, like when we seen so many people get hurt and some of our friends got hurt uh, and hurt bad, you know, breaking their backs and breaking legs and doing stuff. We honestly didn't have many crashes and didn't really uh, have it, any even off track excursions for the majority of the time that we rode. Uh, we, we were able to avoid all of those implications. And I think it was because of what we decided and what we committed to so long ago that worked. It, it just worked for us. When I spoke to her, um, wasn't she having some back issues? Yeah. Um, or she was recovering from something. Well, she had some back issues. I don't actually recall where those originated from, but she had a couple discs that, you know, she kind of compressed and herniated from, I, I think it was, she came down wrong. She landed wrong a couple times and she got that jarring effect of, of landing, you know, straight up and down and maybe bouncing off the seat or something. Um, so I know that there, there was a couple times throughout the years that her back did bother her and that she was, I don't want to say she complained about it because she, you know, would mention it. And to her, she really sometimes didn't let on how much it actually hurt because to her pain was felt a little bit differently. Um, she, she had a tolerance that was really high actually for pain. So it always kind of worried me and scared me because if, if she mentioned something, it worried me to know, okay, is that actually something that just hurts her a little bit? Or is that something that's really hurting her a lot? She's just not saying anything about it. Um, but I think that that was what had happened. I think her, maybe she lost grip of the handlebars, you know, or, or something. And she came down like sitting straight up and down and it, it jarred her and compressed her. Um, and, and like I said, herniated the, I think she had two or three discs that she would have problems with off and on now and again. And it nor normally wasn't an issue unless she crashed, you know, that she kind of would flare it up. Um, and she, she didn't crash a lot. She didn't, uh, have a lot of injuries throughout the years. It's just been within the last few that her, I think that when she 
you know, obviously had a concussion or two. I think it slowed her decision making down sometimes because I, I, I would tease her because they would do it when she was in the police academy. She would say all the time when they had their driving, you know, and they'd, they'd go, OK, you know, you're going straight, you're going straight left. And you'd have to, you know, really quickly throw up the left or go left or whatever it was. And then right. Well, she was great at that initially. And then there, it, uh, you know, the last few years after she got a concussion or two, you do that and you'd see her kind of think about it. And so it started worrying me. I told her, I said, Michelle, you know, you've got to sit down and concentrate on knowing the tracks really well so that you know what's coming up and what's after each turn. And you have to understand, you know, think about it beforehand so that when you have to make a decision, it's not a surprise that you got to think about. It's something that you've already worked out in your head and you already know the answer and you just do it. It's like a reflex rather than you got to think about it and make that choice. So, so that, that was when a couple times I seen her, um, make bad decisions or hesitate that then would cause a problem. Um, she had one bad crash, uh, down at a track called Chili Town that she got impatient. And I, and I had told her, I, I, I always said, Michelle, you know, you are in phenomenal shape as far as being able to ride for long periods of time. You do five laps with the women. You know, when we went out and trained, uh, she would stay out there longer than anybody else. For the most part, I'd have to flag her down to come in uh, just so I made sure that the bike would cool down even because she would go out and, and ride until it would run out of gas if she could. Because that's what Tim Farr used to do. When he, he used to call us after we got into it for a while and got to know some people, Tim would call us to go ride and practice with him and he'd send us out on opposite ends of the track and say, okay, just ride and race. Don't, don't make way for me and I'm going to ride until I'm out of gas and I'm going to find a way around you and pass you. So just don't even look behind you, just ride. So like, I think that that stuck with her, that she felt like she had to ride until she was almost out of gas, you know, to get the conditioning needed. So, but I would always tell her your, your conditioning is phenomenal. Don't try and make a risky pass in the first lap or two. You don't have to just keep showing a wheel, wear them down, especially if it's for first place, because you don't have to worry about somebody, you know, getting away from you and, and taking off from the pack. The person's right there. Well, she made a move at, at Chili Town that was probably a fourth gear tap straight away. And, and she stuck it in on a kid and open wheels. She got the, the worst of it and went tumbling. And that one, she rung her bell really bad. And, you know, her famous thing was she'd get up from any time she'd crash and say, give me five minutes. I'll, I'll get back on the bike. I'm OK. I'll do it again. I'm fine. And she wouldn't even know what was going on. Like that, that time at Chili Town, she got up. My buddy, I was on the far side of the track and I had my friend on the other side of the track. What just so happened that the crash happened over there. So he was there and got to her right away and she was out. And when she came to, she looked at him, she goes, I'm not sure if I know you or not, but I don't think you're my husband. And, and he said, no, I'm not. And it was funny because they had her on the golf cart and we were coming around and she seen me and she goes, you're my husband. And I was like, well, yeah. And I didn't know what was going on. And she goes, <laughs> okay, I'm, I, I thought so. So, so we, we get back to the trailer. She's like, Brian, I'm okay. I, I want to go out and race the second moto. 
And that day she had signed up for, I think it was C class and vet. And I said, okay, Michelle, I said, what class was that that you were just in? She goes, let me think about it. She said, I think that was vet. I said, you're wrong. And she goes, maybe I'm not okay. I said, how about you sit down for a little bit and get some water and, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes. And you know, that race, that was the only time she ever came to me without a fight, without, you know, a resistance. She came to me and said, you know, I think you're right. I need to sit this one out. She goes, I, I feel like I'm kind of hurt. And I said, well, are you okay? Do we need to go to the hospital? And she goes, no, I don't know yet. She goes, I, I'm hurting a little bit, but I want you to race your second moto. And then, you know, if I feel like I need to, we'll go to the hospital. So, you know, she never said anything. She never said, okay, I'm not, uh, I'm okay. Or I'm not okay. She, she kept making me believe that I'm okay. You know, I don't feel anything. It, it seems good. So when we drove home from that place, it was like a four hour drive. It was way down in Southern Ohio. So when, when we, we we're almost home, she looks at me and she says, you know, maybe you should take me to the hospital. And right away, I, I was upset. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be horrible. So I go straight to the hospital and they're running all the scans and doing this stuff. And, and she had Okay, Michelle. <laughs> so, you know, that's why I said it, it almost scared me sometimes when when something would happen because she didn't feel pain quite like a normal person would to say right away, Hey, I'm hurt. Let's go. She, she would fight it till the bitter end. Like, no, I'm good. I, you know, I'm, I just got to take deeper breaths. You know, I, maybe I had a hard hit, you know, I bruised something. I'm good. And, and that, that was how she played it all off. She was never hurt until the doctors told her otherwise. <laughs> Wow. Do you know when she was a police officer, did she have any uh, run-ins or issues being, you know, she wasn't a very big gal. Well, here's the thing. Um, she was partnered up with another lady out there. And the, the girl that she was uh, partnered up with was actually a, like a very tall girl. She's like maybe six, three tall. Really? So. It was funny because that, you know, that was the girl crew that the, the, everybody out there would kind of laugh about. But if there was ever any trouble, guess who they sent? They sent the two girls because Michelle was the hot cop, you know, that the, the, they all were like, oh, yes, 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 Miss Suki, this, you know, they'd do anything to make her happy. So when she'd go out there, it didn't matter how mad and how mean everybody was or what was going on, they'd back down because it was a woman, a couple women there, and they didn't want to make them upset or, you know, they just was like, they, they went with the flow. Whatever they asked them, they did. They, they came down off of the ledge. They, you know, there was very few times that she actually 
was like, yeah, we had to, we had to get rough. We had to use force. We had to do this. Uh, and, and Michelle was sent to a lot of the calls because when I think she went into it briefly that she had gone to school for that and really enjoyed it. And, and because she enjoyed it, she couldn't get enough of it. So when they offered somebody to go to school for different training or certificates to be uh, authorized and, and whatever it was, she would always volunteer because she was just like, it'll only help me, you know, to know more and to have those certificates and those accolades and to be able to help. So she would go all the time and, and uh, take the classes and, and any sort of schooling, uh, education, whatever they were willing to do. So a lot of the things that then that they would have to deal with in the community, she was trained in it. So they would send her. But she, like where you were going that, she never really had to use force very many times just because anytime they sent her, unless it was women, <laughs> that, that, then she was fine. Now, if it was women, you know, women didn't care if it was a girl cop or, or whatnot. They'd be more prone to listen to a guy cop. But uh, yeah, so, so she didn't have very many problems out there at all. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sh it was very smooth. And she did a lot of extra details that, you know, she would work the, the high school games and the gun shows and anything that was going on out there in the community, anything that was happening at, at the fire station, you know, they were close with uh, everybody in that community. So it, it was for her, it, it, it came relatively easily and, you know, they liked her. So it wasn't a problem. What, what job do you have? What do you do? I got into a Kmart Sears distribution center and got into skilled maintenance. So that was the job that I had uh, from the time I graduated college, uh, which was 94. I graduated and I started that job then. I graduated in May and I think I started that job in September of the same year. And it was local. It, it was local to me. It was re relatively close, like five minutes from my house. Is that what you do now? No, no. Um, I worked at the Kmart Sears for 25 years, um, which would have taken me to, I believe it was 2019. That February, I believe, is when they, they, well, last day of February, first day of March, right in there, they ended up closing the doors. Uh, and then from there, that was why with my severance and then, you know, unemployment, I knew that would stretch me out like a year. So that enabled me to race the entire 19 year and have off really. Um, and then Michelle, Michelle worked at oil and gas as a well tender. So she was able to work extra time during the days and kind of set her own schedule so that she could have the weekends off that she needed. So that enabled us to, we rode our butts off in, in 2019 uh, that we went everywhere and did all the nationals and, and went every place we could. And as a matter of fact, that year, if I'm not mistaken, 
2019, we, we had each won a national championship and we're the only husband and wife to ever do that. Uh, and, a, and AMA, ATV motocross that we, we won it the same year. And, and there'd been multiple times from like 2017 on that we had shared the podium because they had split gates for different classes. So with Michelle running, initially it was the 30 plus open for women. And then it turned into the 25 plus open for women, uh, that class. And a lot of times either the 30 or the 40, uh, open class would be run together. So we got to share the podium quite a few times that, you know, would be up there with Rodney Tomlin doing interviews and having, having fun and, Hey, easy over there. <laughs> uh, doing our doing our interviews at the same time on the podium, so that was really cool that we were able to do that too. It does. It sounds pretty awesome. So the love story started in the late nineties and carried itself all the way through two thousand. Really, is when when we met, and it, yeah, it carried itself all the way. All the way through. That's we um, got hooked on ATVs, and and once we found motocross and the track, and was able to race. Um, really, everything that we did uh, revolved around that world of being able to ride and to to get to the track and race. Um, you know we put countless hours and all kinds of money into our machines. And, um, you know, like, like I had said before, that was why I, I dove into the machines to know them so well too, so that I could make sure that they were bulletproof. Um, and I, I started my company wheels up, uh, with street bikes, but I carried it over into ATVs and building the motors and building bikes from the ground up. And, and one of the things that I was most proud of was Michelle never had a DNF because of a a mechanical breakdown or anything. You know, she would break things at different times, (laughs) um, but she always managed to finish the race and not get that DNF and be able to have an overall, uh, you know, a great placing or an overall win because of it. Like, as a matter of fact, last, it was last year, I had started my job at UPS uh, because of COVID and everything. They were pushing really hard for me to get in there sooner than I wanted to. I wanted to finish out the racing season and then start. Well, they wanted me to start, I think it was in like June uh, with them. Well, it was going to force me to miss a few rounds that were too far for for me to make. So I made sure that, you know, I worked on Michelle's bikes and I had everything dialed in and what race was it? I went to pleasure Valley and she ended up, she, she took out third gear. Um, she says she didn't know what happened, but she lost third gear, third gear during the race, the second race of the day on Saturday and was able to limp it home and still get a first place in plus 25, uh, that moto. And she comes off the track and said right away, she said, Brian, it, it, the tranny, it's gone. You know, I'm shifting from second to fourth. There's nothing for third. What can we do? 
And I said, uh-oh. Because for some reason, I don't think we took a spare bike. Or I, I was possibly already building the hybrid for her, so I didn't have another LTR together. So I told her, I said, well, I said, I can go home. I'll grab the bike. I'll go home. I'll pull the motor and I'll throw another motor in. Because I had three motors at home that were done and waiting. I said, I'll throw a motor in and I'll come back. And we have a friend that runs LTR as a local guy that I help out, Justin West. I think she even mentioned it in the podcast that she said that her, her buddy bailed her out. Well, her buddy that bailed her out offered up his motor that I built <laughs> and said, Brian, I got my backup quad so that you don't have to run home. If you want, start pulling her motor out. I'll start pulling the, my motor out. And then you can come grab the motor and just put it in her quad and just use it for the weekend. Just take my bike home with you and, you know, swap motors back and you're good to go. So I ended up doing that. Um, I ended up swapping, pulling his motor out of his practice quad and putting it in her quad for Sunday's motos to get through so I could figure out what was going on with her motor. So she went, ended up, I think she went out and got second in WMX and first again in women's plus 25. So she came away with a first and a second for the weekend. Um, what was it? I rebuilt that motor and then she took out something. Oh, she took out the flywheel on the other side of that motor. And I ended up figuring it out. The crank was going, but when you test it, you know, you test it top dead center and see if there's any wiggle, if there's any motion and stuff. Well, it didn't have enough in it and it wasn't positioned right. Apparently if I'd have went about a quarter of the way down and, and wiggled it and tried it, there was just one little bad spot that was starting to go that allowed it just to, to rock a little bit. So, uh, between it and the bearing, the main bearings. So I ended up figuring that out though, and, uh, straightening her motors out that, that we didn't have any problems after that. But that was probably the only time through all the years that we actually even had a, a problem that I was kind of chasing. Uh, I wouldn't even call it a gremlin, but it was just something that it didn't show its ugly head yet. Well, I knew something was going, but it wasn't so bad yet that it just right. was like, here I am, you know, there's no denying it. So, uh, but, but yeah, that's, I, I always made sure that her bikes were dialed in and Seth Fliggy did our suspension. And, and within the last couple of years, uh, we really got the suspension dialed in for her because believe it or not, back in when we first started, um, because we didn't know any better, uh, when I set up the bikes, I would set hers up the same as mine, but I would just go a few clicks softer on the compression. So if anything ever happened, she could use my bike. I could use her bike. We were both on Cannondales when we originally, you know, started racing and was serious. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, but then, as, as we started getting faster and Michelle started learning more, she wanted the bike obviously set up solely for her so that she could try and push it to the next level and, and, you know, make those steps to get faster and faster. And I was fine with that. I, I told her, I said, when you start giving me the feedback necessary to make those changes, that's when I know that you're ready for those changes and that we can do it. So she, she, and she was there. She got to the point where, you know, I was always faster than Michelle. And, um, there was, there was some times there. I'll tell you what, I think she was faster than me. Um, especially like when I first switched to that Honda, I'll, I'll say for sure. I rode the wheels off that Honda and I was quick 
I did well with it, but it wasn't because of the bike. The bike didn't help me. And she had a dialed LTR that was basically a, a, almost a factory machine. And, you know, those things, they run well. Uh, we, we hung around the Suzuki rig back in the day long enough to figure out all the tips and tricks that we had those Suzuki's dialed in. So, uh, that was one thing I, I knew for sure that we weren't going to give up anything to anybody with that. And I was excited for the hybrid that I just built her because, um, that hybrid, uh, really, I felt like had a lot of potential and that was our, our in-between step. You know, I, I might not have told Michelle everything about that. Michelle and, and women, as you know, they ride with their lower bodies. So Michelle would scare me a little bit because when she wasn't confident with a jump or a track, uh, she would always lean off the back of the bike. When she'd come off a jump, she would lean back and she'd pull the front end up a little bit when she did that because of the body position. Uh, and, and the bigger the jump, you know, obviously the more noticeable that is. So it kind of scared me because I, I thought we had talked about switching her to a Honda, which scared me because I know the front ends are really light after I switched to one. I, I pulled it up way too high quite a few times myself. So it made me a little bit nervous with her that shifting her weight that hard, she might inadvertently pull it back way too hard and loop out. So I felt like with this hybrid, it was the perfect step in between a all out Walsh hybrid setup uh, because it was a Suzuki chassis. So it would be a little bit more balanced. So if she could ride that in the front end, stay down and we could have the handling, then I felt like, okay, then the next step in that evolution would be the full Walsh chassis to make it even lighter and, you know, free up more horsepower and, and for the machine to be quicker for. Her. They run those in the WMX. They're allowed to run the hybrids. Yes. Yeah. They've been allowed. The, the women's class is basically uh, open with a, a displacement limit of 450, I believe is how that is, is, worded so they can use anything in that as long as their displacement is 450 okay that, so that so yes that good. that that was allowable and as a matter of fact um neve's dad had built her an I basically an identical machine to what i built michelle for this year but then they had the, an opportunity to buy one of zach decker's machines once he like made a last second decision to switch and go to a yamaha they bought one of his Walsh machines. So she ended up buying that. And that's what she's using in the WMX class this year is an all out Walsh uh, chassis hybrid machine in the WMX. Wow. Yeah. So you're liking that hybrid. Oh, wow. So when they had Neve's family hosted um, the, the women's ride weekend for Michelle, uh, down at their place with Andrea and uh, a bunch of the girls that decided to show up, Michelle Monk uh, and Carly, a bunch of girls. It was really nice. I took Michelle's bike um, and, and everybody, you know, wanted to see it on the track and, and encouraged me to take it out. And I really had finished it for her and, and I had only ridden it once because it wasn't set up for my weight. So I just wanted to make sure that the motor was right. The gearing was right and everything was going to work right. I just tried to stay on the ground, but, but it, it down there uh, on that track, 
I took it out and thought, oh, I'll try and jump and I'll stiffen everything up quite a bit and see if that'll work. Well, I realized right away that that wasn't going to work for me. So I really, I wasn't able to ride that machine um, and, and test it out and, and put it through the paces because I I came back home and I had to order some different springs and I had to change things up so that it was uh, able to, to take my weight as a, you know, Michelle was down to, for some reason, uh, she felt like she was heavy. So she got down to like 115, which was super light because uh, she normally was about one, 120 to 130. Well, one, I'd say 125 to 130. Um, and, and then I, even with the weight I lost uh, down to, to like 160, the, the bike wasn't sprung heavy enough. So I had to change that up. Uh, the first time I actually used her bike and was able to, to really try it out was I went to Aonia Pass and uh, decided to run her bike. I took my Honda and I, and I took her hybrid and I, I rode the hybrid. And at first I was like, ah, I'm not so sure that I'm jiving with it right now. I, I got to make some change. So I kept changing the, the ride height and kind of the, the, um, the front end and rear heights to, to try and make the front end bite a little bit more. Cause I felt what people were talking about with those hybrids, the fuel injection so fast and so quick on those, when you punch it, you almost have to, to set the bike up with a rake so that, so that, you know, it, it levels out and it doesn't want to raise that front end and make it float and push through the turns and, and uh, wheelie off the track. So once I got a couple things figured out and I got it handling way better, I thought, okay, now I'm happy with it. I'm going to try it out in the race. And holy cow, Saturday didn't go well. I had a, a little moment, a guy got caught up with me and locked the quads together. So I, I really, uh, I only got to make like one open lap to check everything out. And it felt really good, but it wasn't around people in a race pace that what I wanted uh, when I came out on that thing Sunday, holy cow, that thing is just a jet. It pulls off the start. It pulls down the straight. When you jab the throttle, when you hit the throttle, you better be holding on and prepared. I'm going to tell you what, it wore me out in less than two laps. Now, I know that the, those long roller sections there probably helped with that. Uh, but because you're hanging off the back and you're trying to wheelie through or just stay on the top. But that bike would throw you so much, you know, when it would wheelie and then you'd have to muscle yourself up to get it back down. Wow. It, it was, it was a fight for me. So that bike has serious potential and power and I'm really, really impressed with it. Nice. 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 Absolutely. I'm, I'm kind of curious how much difference it would make to have the all out hybrid, you know, the Walsh chassis compared to the LTR after riding that, because that bike is just, it's amazing. And I know the, the other chassis offers a little bit more suspension travel. So, uh, I, I feel like that would probably help it a little bit, at least in the front end. Hmm. So what's your, uh, what's the future hold for Brian Jenkins? Wow. You know, that's, that's kind of a hard one. 
right now. Um, you know, I, I've got a, a, a big learning curve with what I'm dealing with. Um, there's a lot of firsts as far as, uh, you know, going to the track in the camper. When I went to High Point, that was the first time I'd ever been in the camper without Michelle. Um, that was pretty hard. And, uh, the dogs, the dogs didn't like it either. Um, you know, when we go to any ride, let alone a race, uh, after the weekend or after the day, the ride home was Michelle and I's time that we got to spend solely with each other and able to, you know, give a hundred percent attention and talk about, you know, the racing and what happened and, you know, what somebody did, you know, something funny or, you know, just anything that occurred, we were able to catch up and then tell each other, you know, Hey, I seen this on the track. You could go faster here. You know, this person did this and, you know, I can videotape or show you. And, you know, we, we helped each other. We, we, um, we broke down the weekend and, and just went through it step by step. Not having that on the way home is hard. Brother, I don't know, this doesn't compare, but my 85 year old dad just lost the love of his life. And, um, I can't even begin to tell you that it's the same, but watching him and the struggles that he's going through, um, my heart goes out to you. And I think that you already know this, um, the ATV industry as a whole is there for you. And, um, I hope that our friendship keeps going because I really enjoy talking with you. And, uh, so the goodness that does come out of things is, is people that never would have probably spoken very much, uh, are now. And, uh, I know it doesn't get any easier and I know it may never get easier for you. Um, and I'm living it with my dad and, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, it's go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say it, it's hard. It's, um, you know, I, I could talk and tell you stories for days and, you know, our journey, our adventure, different things that happened and, um, you know, the people that we met and the people that have reached out, you know, whether they were old friends and, and, just, we haven't seen him in a while that, that reached out. And I mean, you know, I had Tim Farr, John Natale, Joe Bird. You know, I, I had these, these guys that we looked up to legends of the sport that reached out to me, you know, uh, you know, George Curtis, uh, the, 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 the list goes on and on. 
um, of, of the people that have sent me messages and, and words of encouragement and, and, you know, rode with us and, and knew what we were about and seen what we were about for so long. The Breezewood Proving Grounds family, you know, Dan and Amanda and, and that whole group there, uh, you know, all of these places that we rode and families that we were with that were, were so helpful and nice and accommodating. And, you know, back when we, we did the first year of racing the, the nationals was 2007. It, well, that was our first full year. And I was really, really excited for Michelle. I, I felt like, you know, she would be well known and, and pr- go out there and, and get notoriety because of how good she had become and the faith that I had in her. And, um, we went to, to those races and was eating peanut butter sandwiches, you know, because we spent all our money on the quads and to get to the races and to do all that stuff. And, and like the cottage family came up and was like, Hey, we've got all kinds of food. Come over and eat. You guys, you, you're either you're coming over or we're bringing plates over. You got to come over and eat. And, and I can tell you families, you know, through the years that were the same way that, you know, we were like everybody's illegitimate kids, you know, that they took care of that. They watched out for because they knew we put our heart and soul into it. And, you know, we would give the shirt off our back if somebody needed it. And, you know, we weren't the richest family out there. We didn't have everything, but we, everything that we had, we worked for and we put into what we love to do. And, and, and it must have shown because, um, you know, the people that helped us, the Shimon family. And, oh my gosh, I could just, I could go on and on. You know, my buddy, the West family is the one that's dragging me out of the house now to go to races because, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, you know, that job kind of has me messed up because I feel like I, I was supposed to stay home this year and support Michelle to, to she... <laughs> She told me she felt like she was getting to the point where she didn't know if she'd be able to race at that level to be able to win the WMX championship too many more years. And she felt like, you know, this was an opportunity for her because, you know, her job, she had lost her job. And then with what she was going through and able to be off with work uh, about with her depression and and the treatments that we were getting for her and everything, it enabled her time off of work that she could actually ride and be able to do this. And she asked me, she said, if you will support me, you know, I, I know that this will be probably the last full year, but then next year I'll probably be in the boat that you're in and I'm going to have to work and you'll be able to go ride. And then it's going to take us like two years before we get back on schedule. And, you know, those, those things keep ringing through my head because I felt like I took the job to support her and make sure that she had benefits because with her job being bought out, we didn't know when her benefits were going to go away. And, and I knew that she definitely needed that with, uh, you know, obviously the, what, what the medical bills could be and medications and all that were so expensive. So with COVID, 
and everything that was going on, we couldn't get a hold of anybody at her job to know if she had been or would keep her benefits. Do you know, actually, it was at the end of last week, finally, finally, somebody called me to say that Michelle and I, we did not know this, had benefits because of, of her going out on medical. It locked her benefits. It froze them in place. But because of the offices being shut down in the area and at the offices that we knew of as far as phone numbers to, to call, they were shut down due to COVID-19. So we couldn't get a hold of anybody. So we're just, I just now found out, you know, this is, is June and that we were trying to find out her company was bought out in December. And I just got a call that like, if we would have known that, if I'd have known that she had medical I probably wouldn't have worried about the job that, you know, I had, I would have found something that would have worked with me to have the weekends off and would never be in this situation, would never, never be dealing with this. And I know that that's, you know, looking back and overanalyzing, but you know, what else can I do? You know, that, that, that hurts. That's a pretty devastating blow. Nothing anybody can say can make it better, brother. Right. Other than when you want to talk, we're all here. And uh, I want to, from my family to yours, gosh, turn, you're choking me up, brother. From my family to yours, I want to tell you how much we appreciate you. And I didn't get to know your wife, but just a little bit that we got to talk on the two interviews that she was on and the two times she came on ATV talk. Um, but I really enjoyed her. And, um, I know the other girls really enjoyed her and everybody that I've spoken to about her always was positive and they always had wonderful things to say. Um, so she must've been an amazing woman. She was absolutely. Absolutely. She somehow got to the point where she thrived on being that ringleader. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. And, and I got to apologize to you because I know when she did her interview, her personal one, before she did that, I said, you know, hey, make this about you. You know, I, I want you to feel good about it. I want you to make this about you. And I feel like that took her out of her game because a lot of her answers she didn't elaborate on and she didn't go into depth on. And like, you know, even when you asked about me and the program, you know, being involved in her program, it kind of, it kind of threw me because she always would say, you know, that you build my bikes from the ground up. If, if you're not building my bikes, I'm not racing. You know, I don't trust anybody to touch my motors, to touch my bikes. That's you're doing it forever. That's it. I hope you're going to, you know, be content with that because you got the job. And I laughed and, 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 you know, it always made me feel great that um, she put that much faith in me. And I mean, behind the scenes, I always told her, you are one in a million because you're a girl that has the talent, the skills, the looks, the character, the personality to, to push this. And, you know, believe it or not, that was the only time she was shy. 
You know, I told her, I said, Michelle, you could probably have full rides and you could have so much help and so much, uh, so many people behind you if you were to, to get out and ask. And I don't know, maybe she had a little bit of me in her that, you know, I always got a problem asking for help. It's hard. And, uh, you know, I did her resumes. I did everything behind the scenes, did all of her resumes every year, you know, should pick out the pictures and, you know, want me to rearrange stuff a little bit, but she's like, you do all that. You, you went to school for that. You take care of that. I just want to ride. I get it. I get it. Cause I just want to turn wrenches, but uh, I'm, I'm standing on the other side of this camera right at the moment. Uh, talking to you because it's, it's another portion of being involved and being able to be out there. And um, Brian, I know how hard this is for you. Well, you can't say that, but I can tell in your voice and I can tell that you enjoy talking about her. And um, I, I'm going to extend the invitation to you to come back and talk with me again. Uh, when you feel like it's the opportune time, uh, you'll reach out to me and, and, and we'll get you back and, and you can tell us some more about Michelle. Anytime you want. It's, um, you know, it's hard, but it also, it helps. And it, 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 um, I'm sure it helps people that are listening and close to her, you know, to, to hear these stories and to know about her and, and our journey, you know, how it actually happened, how it went down. And, and like you said, you know, turning wrenches, I, I got to say that in the last, you know, year or two, maybe I didn't lose my, my drive for the ATV industry, but I, I started feeling like I've got, I got just as much enjoyment out of helping Michelle win races and be out front. Like when she won, I won just like when I won, she won. It, it was teamwork. It was shared. It, it was the commitment we had. And, and um, I, I wanted so badly for her to be able to win that WMX championship. That was, that was the bucket list for her. Um, and uh, I, I, I feel like, after riding her bike, uh, uh, that hybrid, you know, I feel like I need to keep doing that. It, it, it's, it's renewed my drive to be out there and to, to, to be, um, on the track myself and not just be behind the scenes helping people. Although I, I get huge enjoyment from it. I do. I, I, you know, my buddy, Justin, that's out there racing, he's doing great. He, he's awesome. And, uh, I get enjoyment out of that. And obviously Michelle, Michelle is my number one. And that's, that's, you know, hard to, to be with somebody day in, day out. Um, and, and have the same passion and have the same drive. And, you know, we were always talking about riding and racing and what we could do and be better. And, you know, any, any advantage we could have and uh, you know, now it, it, it's so hard because uh, I got to call people. You know, I got to call people. I got to get somebody that, that's willing to talk and be there and do that because um, 
all I had to do was look to my left and, and I had it, you know? So that, that's, that's the biggest change and the hardest part for me. But whenever you want me back, you let me know. I, like I said, I'll come on anytime and talk about Michelle. I got tons of stories and could talk for days. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate you taking the time for her fans and we will get you back. And, um, she's going to be on, um, she's going to be about all the three Fridays in June here. And, um, we'll, uh, We'll keep you posted on how she's doing and how the episodes are doing. My my daughter will probably cut a little bit of this out, but <laughs> because no it's no, it's no the problem. it's the talking about stuff that you're not supposed to talk about uh, episode. You know, I mean, I, I, to me, there's no rules, but I guess there there's rules. You know, I, I don't. Um, I I didn't know that. I, I I'll talk about anything. That's me, you know, me too. It, it's. It's funny, like even it, I was at Georgia and Casey Greek came up to me and laughed and he, you know, he gave me a big hug and he said, I've been meaning to talk to you. And he, he said, do you remember, you know, when we first met and I, I, you know, I went back and I was thinking, you know, Natalie and thinking, wow, you know, has it been that long or was it longer? And he, he jumped in and he said, you and Michelle were like a permanent fixture at the factory Suzuki rig when I was wrenching for Doug and I, I started laughing. I said, you're right. I said, as a matter of fact, you guys had our, our quads underneath the factory tent a few times because you gave us maps and was helping us out and dialing things in because you know, when, when anybody on a Suzuki won, it looked good for Suzuki. So Casey and Kevin Muma and Corey Ellis, those guys helped us. Um, if we had a problem with the bikes or, or something wasn't quite right, or even believe it or not, Dustin Wimmer and Doug Gust would come down and watch us ride and, you know, give us some pointers and stuff because we were, we were there so much and, and would tell them things that we seen and, you know, where somebody was doing something that was pretty fast and shoot Doug Gust used to send, uh, send Cindy down to ask us if we seen anything on the track that could help them out. <laughs> So we had to have been doing something right. We we were like, I think we were a valued couple to the to the Suzuki rig because they didn't have a problem with us being a permanent fixture over there. That's pretty awesome stuff, brother. Oh yeah, for sure. Things I'll never forget. Well, that's don't don't let them go, man. Don't let them go. Matter of fact, I found that Michelle got a Doug Gus jersey that was in her cedar chest. And, uh, I, I think she showed it to me, but I didn't remember it and I hadn't seen it for years. And I, I was looking for pictures and I seen something red hidden underneath the photo album and I picked it up and there's a Doug Gus jersey. So I started laughing cause I thought, well, that means I've got a, you know, between her and I, what we had, we got a gust, a weaning and a wimmer from those days. That's pretty awesome. That's impressive stuff right there. I have all, oh, absolutely. That's that's uh elite status, I think, right there. Yeah, yeah, that is. Well, well, brother, I'm gonna let you go this evening. And again, I'm really appreciative of you coming on. Um, I will be back in touch with you in a couple of days. So expect that. Yeah. And um, if you need me, I'm here, brother. 
Absolutely. And the same goes for you. You can call me anytime, uh, shoot me a text, whatever you need. I'm, I'm open to it. Trust me. It, uh, it's always welcomed. I, I don't sleep a lot now, so it, it helps. Well, I'll do my best to keep in touch. Um, I hope we can remain friends for years to come. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.